0: Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. Uh, my name is Caleb, and why would you want to read when you got the television set sitting right in front of you?
1: My name's Stephanie, and pimples are the Lord's way of chastising you.
0: I don't know if that's true, but it certainly humbles you.
1: Really makes you think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Resisting the urge to finish that with a Parks and Rec reference, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, tonight, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm I'm ready to talk about this yeah i'm Ooh, far right. more so than i expected to be that's good um uh tonight we are discussing uh carrie 1976 and matilda um year to be determined
1: 1990
0: stay tuned Six. Oh, Ex- precisely 20 years apart 20
1: year cycle hmm yeah so well we haven't recorded an episode at a a hot second. It's been a second. Yeah, we were kind of slacking. We've been really busy yeah, I mean, We lately. have
0: excuses, all right? We've yes, been very, very, do. very, very busy. Stephanie, what is your experience with Carrie in 1976?
1: Well, um, I've seen it a few times before. I I honestly don't really remember the first time I watched it, probably sometime in college. That was when I watched a lot of movies on my own for the first time. Um but I, I was always really interested in it because I, knowing kind of the bare bones of what it was about, I've never really been a big Stephen King person. I, I find a lot of his stories kind of dull, which is probably sacrilegious to a lot of horror fans. That is to say, I don't ever really connect with the characters and stuff, and I find the plots kind of haphazard. Very, It's a very good scary moments and stuff, but like, Generally not a huge fan. So this one kind of surprised me because it is a, you know, a Stephen King, it's based on a Stephen King story, the movie's by uh, Brian De Palma. Um, But knowing that it was about, you know, kind of like a super sheltered, awkward girl, I was like, hmm, that sounds like something I probably relate to. And, oh, what do you know? I do relate to it a lot in some really painful ways. And, you know, I mean, if you know anything about Carrie, it's, you know, about a girl who... Basically, it, it all comes down to her mother is an insane religious fanatic. Like, you know, to to the point where it's a little comical.
0: Right, even to to those of us raised in very religious households start to question it, which we can get to when we get to it. The specifics.
1: Yeah, the, her, her her mom is like... Definitely more extreme than anything I've ever been subjected to, but also it's a movie, so, you know, movies get a movie. Like, I I couldn't help wondering, like, you know, her mom is so, like, horrified at the idea of sex in general. And I'm like, there is literally no version of Christianity in which you're not supposed to have sex with someone that you're married to for the purpose of procreation. Like, even if every other single form of sex is bad, which obviously is fucking stupid, just so we're clear, but even so, even in the most conservative forms of Christianity, there's <laughs> there, there's no version that says you're not supposed to do that. Like, They're she allowed said, that one bad. thing. Right, you get that one fucking thing. Like, unless... Maybe she was trying to say that they weren't married... I actually didn't It was catch unclear. That. Yeah. It did not
0: read, but I don't think that's the case. I don't know. She would have specifically said the word, said that they were not married, and I...
1: Right. It. it feels like that would have well, been the first thing for her to point out if they weren't. We so can, that was just weird We can to me.
0: circle back around to this before we <laughs> yeah, dive poor, down this rabbit the hole, because we're still stuff. in the introduction. Hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, your experience with, with Carrie.
0: Um, prior to this time watching it um i had never seen it the only thing i knew was there was a girl who got pig's blood dumped on her at the prom and I mean, what that's else it do you
1: need to know? that's
0: all i knew um i enjoyed it fairly well um i questioned some of the choices but apparently that's just a Brian De Palma thing um a lot more of them made sense made more sense to me recontextualized in uh some uh I guess I'll say research. There there are I some did. odd
1: choices that I just chalk up that, to Brian De Palma being kind of a, I don't know, an what, artsy director. A lot of, of it
0: made sense to me when it was recontextualized by someone smarter than me. Um, <laughs> uh, example being... Um, the scene when they're at the prom and they're spinning in circles and talking and the camera start, is spinning normal at first and it's getting faster and faster um, my dumbass was like but why camera spin so fast
1: oh see I just assumed it was like her disorientation and right had, like, that's elation. the point it's
0: supposed to be yeah. disorienting right. um, and then you know the the opening sequence of Carrie taking a shower and um, and yeah, it's that's, just this that was long <laughs> elegant artful um meditation on this naked teenager's body mm, um mm-hmm. which was very popular at the time um
1: yeah the 70s were a wild fucking time
0: but a lot of the sequences in this movie are designed purposefully like that to juxtapose what comes after? Mm. Sometimes the problem is there is stuff in between yeah. that I feel breaks the juxtaposition. But in this case, it's you're establishing something, and then you know Carrie has her first period, and that's the when the body horror starts, right? And her classmates making fun of her, and that's the psychological horror. And like, so it's 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 the juxtaposition, and it's intentional, right? Um,
1: right. It's like when you're when you're hitting puberty, and you're like you on the one hand kind of enjoy the idea of like becoming an adult and like you know learning about your body and then the world just constantly slaps you in the face with like actually that's bad actually you're disgusting actually that's wrong like you know right over and over again um, you know
0: <laughs> you know I, I care enough about actually discussing a fair or uh, a lot of the beats in this movie that I'm actually gonna go ahead and open the Wikipedia article which we haven't <laughs> been doing in a while we've been doing a bit more freewheeling discussion That's true. Yes, um we have. but I did't I did watch this a whole week ago so yeah I, um, it has
1: been a minute
0: yeah I don't wow it was the first uh production based on a published work of Stephen King. Really? Yeah.
1: There have been so many, I I honestly forget.
0: Oh yeah, Wikipedia says it is the first of more than a hundred film and television productions.
1: Dear God. Um, wow. The money that man must be making off, like, royalties alone. Um.
0: Okay, so I've got the plot beat pulled. The plot beat's pulled up. Um. So, we we basically already started discussing the first scene. Yeah. Um, Carrie has, gets her first period... At the age of how old is she? Sixteen, yeah, sixteen. Yeah, a
1: um, bit of a late bloomer,
0: but not unheard of. Um, right. And her mother never told her about it, which you find out several scenes later that her mother thinks that uh, you only women only get their periods as a result of like having sex or thinking lustful thoughts for the first time, which um, is
1: pretty distressing given how young a lot of people are when they first get their period.
0: Yeah, I know. And her her mother just never told her about it. And she managed to not learn it in health class, presumably because her mom probably like, sign a slip or something saying that she wasn't allowed to be in health class. I just
1: can't believe that this girl is even allowed to go to public school like I, I know. know this was before Christian homeschooling really took off but like that's precisely that's the same to me
0: um, like is, it wasn't really a, I guess the thing in the public consciousness guess, of oh, yeah. all those those right-wing conservative Christians with their um you know kid, their, their homeschooling right um
1: like it, it never even seems to be considered as an option Right, like, this
0: would this would be a very different movie, if it was, because then you know she'd have to spend most of her time in the house. That would be that sounds much more like a modern horror film.
1: I would I would watch the shit out the of the girl
0: trapped in the house with her domineering. That sounds like mother. the witch.
1: Like so, I would I would watch the fuck out of that. Which you
0: actually were questioning if you think I might be able to watch that after watching this.
1: Um. <laughs> Uh
0: <laughs>
1: it's not super violent. It's just 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 dread and discomfort for days. So I don't know. I'll say I'll say maybe. Also technically a baby does get murdered in it, even though you don't really see it, but you do see the aftermath of it. Ah, uh, cool. So <laughs> my favorite. Yeah, I so, don't <laughs> baby yeah, murder. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs>
0: Carrie has a singular teacher at the school that seems to care for her. None of her classmates do, yet. Um, And there's this single teacher that sticks up for her, which is a character you need. Um, Even if she's... Yeah, that's something
1: that both of these movies have in common, actually, now
0: that I think about it. Right. So, you know, our basis of comparison for Carrie and Matilda, in case it wasn't obvious...
1: well they are school stories. Children and Yeah, both home school stories. stories. Children
0: with horrible home lives who develop telekinetic powers. Which I'll go ahead and uh, just throw this out there. Um, I just learned that apparently during the seventies there was a very prominent theory in the uh para- the parapsychology world, um, that children I'm develop can develop telekinetic powers as a result of psychological trauma.
1: I'm keen. Can... Wish that was true. <laughs> That'd be cool.
0: And uh, it feels like a lot of stories r- exist with that premise. Yeah. You know? um,
1: I mean, it powers manifesting as a result of a traumatic event is a pretty tried and true yes. trope in fiction. Um, particularly with both of these, I, I was realizing like, oh, the, like, the telekinetic girl slash woman is like an archetype. Or, like, a mini-archetype yes. in and of itself. Like, and that follows a lot of similar patterns. Like, there always has to be kind of that mental instability, which can feel a little, like, you know, well, not questionably in, handled at times. Not in Matilda. Well, but even she then there's carefully... mental oddness. I think it's still, there's always a right. sense of being, like, neurodivergent or, or, or different in some kind of way.
0: Yes,
1: I, I. I'm sorry. The speed with which that girl like learns to read alone is indicative of her not being 100. percent Just I'm just baseline. taking issue <laughs> with
0: the with the word unstable. Matilda mm. might be odd or different, okay, but she herself is very stable. Yes,
1: but that w- I would say she's the exception that proves the rule. Like, yes, she she is very stable, but it's almost in very stark contrast to the way a lot of these type this characters of this archetype are framed.
0: Yes anyway. And uh, a lot how to phrase. Um, it the character's telekinesis does develop as a result of trauma, but it's also as a way of um, gaining control because there they're always people who have none or very little. You know, and so the the developing of the telekinetic powers is a way for this person to take control over their own autonomy and over their life. Um, yeah,
1: well, yeah, and that's why I, I think that's part of why it's such a common trope for it to be a young girl because that's like you know one of the most disempowered types of person you can be in 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 a society. Like, um, I think I don't know. I was I was thinking about it a lot. And I was like, well that there may be something you know archetypically feminine about the idea of of the telepath or telekinesis because it's like entirely based on the mind it requires no physical strength Mm -hmm. whatsoever Mm -hmm. and you know like um and i think that's something that you know traditionally women have had to rely on a lot is their intelligence and their ability to manipulate the world around them through through means other than physical strength or societal power
0: right you know you're lady Macbeth's. yeah exactly
1: (laughs) so i I, yeah it was interesting to me because obviously there are telekinetic men in fiction mostly in comic books and stuff uh like professor X. Yeah, you got professor x and now that i think about it even that even that is like he is he's physically disempowered Mm -hmm. you know because of his disability and so there's still kind of that similarity there um but yes like there are telekinetic men but i think there's like very prominent examples of the telekinetic woman as a fictional archetype i don't know which is interesting and i think like both of these both of these movies carry more so because it very much engages with like questions of like the monstrous feminine um, but I think both of them do kind of center that experience of, of being a girl and like how that is, how that's kind of related to their feelings of disempowerment and to the emergence of their, their powers. And you were probably going to continue talking about the plot before I went off. No, that. that's yeah. more
0: important. Mm. The, this type of discussion is more important to me than hitting the plot beat by beat.
1: Well, what were you going to say next?
0: Um, the bit about Carrie going home and her mother punishing her and sticking her in the prayer closet, which uh, one is a horrifying sequence. Yeah, Her mother dragging her into the dark.
1: That, um, I, I always really like that scene. Likes a weird word. I think that scene hits very hard because you've just seen, you know, her be tormented at school and then she goes home and it kind of feels like you expect maybe subconsciously for her home to be a place of refuge for her. And then just immediately, like, especially the scene where she's, like, on her knees and her mother's, like, making her say, like, repeat things after her over and over again. it's like, wow, this girl really cannot catch a fucking break. It's yeah, no, just... she
0: is tormented at school and then goes home where her mother tells her it's her fault and punishes her. Um, and she has to spend hours in the uh, prayer closet, mm-hmm. um, which I noted with the uh, when the first time we see her in their, their um, crucifix, I was like... That Christ figure looks surprisingly like her mom. I wonder if that's Ah. going to come back, and then it it did because her mom. Spoiler alert. Ends up, one they have the same hair. That's what it's the hair. It the hair. That crazy and thing um, hair. her mom dies at the end in the exact same pose and with wounds in the exact same spots as their crucifix.
1: Which is funny. I was when looking at the crucifix, I was like, "Why does the Christ figure have three arrows in his chest?" And I was like, I- "I'm pretty sure that's not part of the, the uh, I don't know, the passion story." Um, so I guess it was more just an aesthetic choice. Um. I don't know why, but it, it did have the the mirror image, which is always cool. <laughs> um, I not and yeah, I guess her mom thought it was important for the eyes to glow too, just so you get that sense that he's always staring at you.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, it is unsettling.
1: Yeah.
0: And like, how did he do that?
1: Well, because she's, the... I don't know, she's God is very wrathful, and so I guess that's kind of like her projecting her image of God, like I don't know. Can man create God in the image of himself? That I guess that's basically what's going on here. <laughs> so, I, I don't know.
0: So, um, carrying through the plot beat, so it makes sense when we get to the other stuff. Um, Carrie's tormentors actually get punished and are told that if they, uh, they're given um, detention during gym class for a week, and if they skip, they're not allowed to go to the prom. And uh, her biggest bully so, says damn that sucks guess i'm just, just not, gonna go, to she's the not prom. gonna go to the prom yeah
1: that's how that's how mad she is about the shit and
0: convinces her boyfriend to help her slaughter a pig so they can dump a bucket of pigs blood on carrie at the prom like just Which, use at this paint, point my dude. Just, at this point they're just assuming
1: Carrie is gonna go right like remember. first of all why it, did they think wait did they know that it might have been gonna...
0: after it might have been after sue got her boyfriend to um to, yeah. to ask Carrie, I, really I don't remember. recall.
1: Because like, why would anyone assume that Carrie was going to prom? If anything, he would assume the opposite. Okay,
0: there is one sequence that I do not get, and that's the sequence with Chris in the car with her boyfriend, I don't get it and they're talking, and they're both flip flopping from like horny to angry at like right. seemingly at random. They're like random. each
1: other. They're like she plays a bunch hard. Of She's shit. like being
0: flirty, and he tries to go for it, and she gets angry. And then, like, he gets, un- he is annoyed and confused, and then she's immediately horny again. Like, it's it's so back and forth, and I don't get it. That's and that girl can talk work. incredibly well with a dick in her mouth. Like, right? I can't, I-,
1: I can't, once I noticed it, I could not stop noticing it. I was like, um, how is she saying all her consonants that well? Because, like, either this man tiny or, like... This-
0: it's a strange sequence. <laughs> it's... Um,
1: Right. Yeah, I don't get that one either. Like honestly, the the movie is it's funny because it's really famous for the prom scene, but so much happens before it and yet so little happens before it. It's like that would honestly be one of the biggest my biggest criticisms is it's so meandering and it takes so long for anything really to happen,
0: which is funny what, reading this plot description because there, there's like a um <laughs> So it's four paragraphs long. The second paragraph is dedicated to um, everything that happens after, like the girl uh, Carrie gets in trouble with her mom and the girls are assigned detention. An entire paragraph is given to um, the Chris planning vengeance, uh, Tommy asking her to the prom, and um, Carrie getting ready for the prom. So that's like one fourth of this plot description. That's like. Half the movie, yeah,
1: that's so much <laughs> right, and it's it's a weirdly paced movie, which honestly, I think Matilda kind of is too, but we'll get into that later. I, I think maybe that's part of the problem when you have movies that are like based on someone with like supernatural powers but are not very like plot heavy and are just kind of like people milling around and talking about stuff and getting into some shenanigans. Mm-hmm like
0: oh well, I think
1: and then some big things happening every now and then
0: I think Carrie has you know a typical three act structure it just has they're weirdly proportioned yeah. I think Matilda might even be like a two act structure that's why I think it it, it doesn't really it, the, the first half of the movie is the setup. you know yeah. um, it's like two act structure with an epilogue anyway um, moving on I
1: like no I should wait.
0: No, you should wait. Is this about Matilda?
1: No, it's about Carrie. It's just uh, about like closer to the end. I-, I guess like what what was the part you were gonna talk about next? Nothing.
0: It's literally just her going to the prom. Well, and then so the everything thing about falls out is, from there.
1: I don't know. It almost. I wa- this is going to happen with Matilda, too. There will be things about a movie that kind of irk me, but I, I almost feel bad about criticizing it because I feel like someone in the audience is going to be thinking, well, that's the point, or something like that. But But if I can't tell that it's the point, then should the movie be making the point more clearly? Or does that just mean I'm dumb and don't understand movies? Anyways, I go through this process with myself all the time when it comes to analyzing things that don't work for me in movies. What I'm trying to say is I almost kind of... Don't love that Carrie's mental breakdown is just the result of one girl's weird, inexplicable desire for revenge based on nothing. Like, uh, to me, because the movie already feels like it's hammering so hard on, like, this girl cannot catch a break wherever she goes, and, like, the odds are just stacked against her, and her breakdown is inevitable... I almost wish it felt more inevitable because the way it is, it feels very much just like her life would have been great. She would have gone to the prom and had a great time and everyone would have liked her and she would have, like, been able to deal with her abusive mother and everything would have been just peachy if not for this one random bitch who dumped blood on her head. Like, I don't know. I kind of don't love how uh how haphazard it seems or, like, how... I don't know to me it almost would have worked better if everyone continued being awful to her uh, at the prom and like maybe it turned out that what's his fuck the boy she went with was kind of a jerk or something like I don't know I don't don't, does what I'm saying make sense yes it
0: does Um, my thoughts on the matter
1: I just don't like that everything comes down to Chris it feels kind of random to me
0: i'm going to politely disagree hmm. i say i think it's much more of a the straw that broke the camel's back
1: no absolutely it's, it's Just...
0: yes it is one person with a vendetta but i think it's also the same problem you have with, with matilda and that the part of matilda's story which is intentionally very black and white because it's for children is that some people are miserable assholes for no reason Chris is a miserable asshole. No, I for know no that, reason. and I
1: don't disagree with that. I, I don't just think,
0: think that... it's nec- I. I think it's just the straw that broke the camel's back. It was inevitable. If it wasn't Chris, it would have been another girl next semester or in a couple of weeks, or it would have been her mom.
1: So you're saying that Carrie is like a ticking time bomb, and at any point that she was like treated badly, no matter how well everything was going before it, it would have set her off, and she would have. You no, did. I'm
0: saying it came at just the right time. No, you know, I'm saying and- that I
1: think that that could be true. Like, that could be a perfectly worthwhile theory. And I've even thought it myself that, you know, like, it seems like everything is going great. But if she's just going to be triggered into a murderous rampage at the first thing that goes wrong, then it's it would happen eventually regardless, which could be true and could be a worthwhile read. Like i don't know the inevitability of someone of someone's trauma coming back to haunt them
0: i could be disagreeing with my or uh contradicting myself here but thinking about it at this moment it does seem very much like perfect storm like it it was she had this breakdown at this moment because of everything leading up to it and when that happened It was, she, things have been going awful, and then she just starts to scrape and claw and get this modicum of agency, and then she's reminded that things are still shit, that people still are going to treat her like a weirdo because of her upbringing, because she is so stunted, and then uh, guess what happens? It's exactly what happened in the first act. She goes back home and has to deal with her mother, um... Oh god, I feel like I just had a really good thought and I've lost it. Oh Oh, god. Ah, okay. No, I got it. I've got it again. Okay. To be a giant nerd about this, (laughs) how familiar are you with the killing joke?
1: Relatively.
0: So, like.
1: One bad day?
0: Yes. The Joker's central thesis in the killing joke. One is the day only difference enough? between Joker and the Batman is one bad day. Mm-hmm. And that's one bad day it's all about a perfect storm, right? It's it's not just, you know, something bad happened 3 weeks ago and then something bad happened today I'm going to lose it. it's it's the it's the culmination, it's the 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 tipping point. It's You know, if the pig's blood thing had happened several weeks later, it probably wouldn't have happened. You know, it's. She's still uncertain. She still doesn't even trust the. Isn't completely certain of the intentions of the boy who brought her. The scene right before the pig's blood scene, they're dancing in circles and she's just asking, why am I here? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Why did you ask me? You know?
1: Yeah, so it's. I mean, yes, like I can certainly see that. It's like. Because that's a relatable feeling for me. It's like when everything seems to be going a little too well, and you just constantly have that fear in the back of your mind that it's all about to come crashing down. Like for and instance, then it does. when yeah. you when you anticipate that someone's going to say something that that pisses you off or like you you're like oh i just know they're going to say x and like i hate when they say x and you're you're waiting and you're waiting and then they say it and you're somehow more angry than you would have been if you didn't anticipate that they were going to say it <laughs> because you knew ahead of time and ha- and you know have been just thinking about it and dreading it that whole time <laughs> mm-hmm. like i i know how that feels and and also I, I would say certainly the strongest argument for having so much positive happen before it all comes crashing down would be that it's maybe even more triggering for her because she had gotten maybe a little tiny taste of what being like a normal dare we yes. say even happy teenager would be like. And then it she feels that it's been ripped away from her. Now, from our perspective we could say like everyone in the audience is like, Who the fuck would do that? That's a terrible thing to do to someone mm. and are on her side because she's imagining them laughing. In but reality, they're horrified. Is she but... imagining them? Yeah. Because I
0: thought the point of it was that she was her mother was proven right.
1: No, her her mother Okay. <laughs> so the way I interpreted it is So
0: hold for, for clear for clarity's sake, the scene right before Carrie goes to the prom. Her mother tells her that everyone is going to laugh at her.
1: They're all going to laugh at you.
0: Um,
1: Um, the The way I interpreted it, because it... Now, I I can't quote the shots verbatim, but from what I recall, it's you see everyone, like, staring, just, like, looking really shocked and horrified, and then you see, kind of, from Carrie's perspective, the room spinning around and people, like, laughing and pointing and everything... So wh- how I read it was that no one was actually doing that except maybe the one bitch who was Chris's friend. The
0: girl with the hat.
1: Right. Like, of course she's going to fucking laugh. Her with a fucking hat. Like, But um, my read was that everyone else was like, oh, God, that's terrible. Who would do that? But in her mind, because she was so humiliated, and I felt this before, like her anxiety just like leaped out and like just completely got her in a chokehold. And- she projected that onto them and imagined that they were all laughing at her even though they weren't that that's my read i I don't know what's canon quote unquote but
0: i'm willing to accept that i might be an idiot
1: because i i could swear i won't swear but i could swear that i think there were a couple characters laughing who you know for a fact would not have been laughing, like no. Sue and no. Miss What's-Her-Fuck.
0: No, you you have convinced me. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> anyway,
1: that, that, I think that scene is meant to be ambiguous, but I do think there's a right answer, and I do think it's mine.
0: <laughs> another thing that uh, I think this movie uh, likes to, uh, is laying on is the concept of a no good deed goes unpunished.
1: Oof. Yeah,
0: because
1: Sue basically gets her boyfriend killed. Everyone who
0: tried to help her ends up dying horribly. Like so,
1: except for Sue, she just gets to live and have horrible trauma. But
0: guess what? Even (laughs) Sue was trying to do something good and tried to stop Chris. Mm -hmm. Guess what? She was trying to do the right thing, and the teacher stopped her because the teacher didn't trust her. This is all about people aren't trustworthy and you try and do something good and guess what people aren't going to trust you you've done something bad in the past or they uh perceive you to be bad so no matter what you're damned if you do you're damned Mm. if you don't
1: and i honestly kind of appreciated that with sue like it's not very often that we get to see someone go from like being a a mean girl, if if only passively, to, like, kind of, like, realizing that they fucked up over the course of the story. Yeah, and no, to I think Sh-
0: right. Sue might be the most human character in this movie.
1: Yeah, and you do kind of see it through her eyes, and I think that's part of why it makes sense that she's, like, the survivor at the end. Like, maybe there are a few others that we don't see. I, I don't know. It's not really clear, but, I mean, she's the one that gets left with all this because you have to think that she probably feels a lot of guilt in it, you know. Because of her part in the initial incident, and because she <laughs> tried to scheme to like make things go well. But it, and guess
0: what? If she the... hadn't been nice to Carrie, Carrie might still be alive, and her boyfriend might still be alive. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know? Like, it's... and
0: the entire senior class might still be alive. Right,
1: right, right. Which is what's so, so sad about it. And, and that also kind of made me think of something else. Like, I, I was thinking about how, like, you know, this is for a movie made by a man it's very much a movie about women like there's basically one male character and that's tommy and he's basically just getting like tossed around between like uh, a couple of girls uh, as is the dream i'm sure um but it
0: is funny that there i would there's three male characters to varying levels of importance and they're all just kind of like they all have a woman telling them what to do. Kind of. There's Sue and Tommy, <laughs> feminist there's, King Brian. There's diploma. Chris and uh, um, uh, John Travolta. Yeah. Yes, yeah, John Travolta. Thank you. I couldn't remember. John Travolta. Right. They're they're and all just fans
1: of of the ladies.
0: And then there's the principal. Yeah. Who. Even though he doesn't listen, the teacher is trying to tell Cassie, him what to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, um,
1: which was funny to me. And then I was thinking, so it's very it's very much about women. It's very much about womanhood and girlhood, whatever. And also I was thinking about how like so many of the female characters kind of project things onto Carrie and like try to sort of make her in their image or or um I don't want to say manipulate, because with some of them it's well-intentioned. But everyone is trying to pull her in a certain direction. um, And she gets to make very few choices of her own accord until near the end. Um, You know, like, Sue is trying to... You know, she has this, this plan, which obviously is well-intentioned but you have to ask how well is this going to turn out like she's trying to get her boyfriend to take carrie to the prom but like what if carrie likes her boyfriend and gets her heart broken you know because he's with some other girl or you know like that kind of thing and then obviously chris is trying to get her weird revenge for some fucking reason and you know the the coach lady is genuinely trying to help carrie um but like she can only do so much and she she doesn't trust any of the other girls she's kind of a bitch to them like like they deserve it but also like you can't slap a high schooler that's kind of not cool and then like obviously her mom is whatever the fuck is going on with her obviously the most the most outwardly manipulative one among them but they, they all kind of have a design on Carrie and it's just interesting to watch because that also feels very true like when you're a girl like you have so many different voices trying to tell you what you should be and people trying to steer you in a certain way and it can be very confusing like even the ones that are, are good and well intentioned it's just like you just don't know who you are and you don't know what you should do or who you should listen to and I just found it very interesting because it's because it is such a female centric narrative it was interesting to see all the different ways that that manifested even within that, that small story kind of that it's telling yeah um that's about all i'd have to think more about it to come up with much more but uh but no it's just kind of interesting to me
0: yeah um there is one point in this movie that could potentially be kind of ambiguous but i think the ambiguity of it might also bother me um (laughs) okay so (sighs) carrie's mom finds out she has telekinetic powers and says it's because she has Satan in her. Okay. And Carrie says it's not Satan, Mama. It's me. Okay. Then we move on. And Carrie literally turns the high school gym at the prom into hell. There's flames everywhere. She emerges covered in blood as the only survivor. She, in effect, becomes the devil. The almost. devil. <laughs> yeah. okay. Then... She goes home and has it out with her hyper-religious nutjob mother. And then they both die and the house gets sucked down to hell. Now, there are two <laughs> potential readings of it. That I saw one earlier where someone said that um, the ho- what happened to the house happened because Carrie lost all control of her emotions and her powers. And then the way... Another way I saw it was the house literally getting sucked down to hell. Which is obviously I, the visual.
1: I was going to say, that's that's the metaphor, but I don't think that... Right, it's the metaphor, <laughs> but
0: then I question, like, to what end, right? It didn't happen until the mom died. Carrie dies as the house goes down. I never... I did not get a read that that was happening because of Carrie's powers. If that's what I'm supposed to take away from it, it was not obvious enough. So as that was happening, I was thinking... Why is the house getting dragged down to hell? Did God actually love this crazy lady who horribly abused her mother or her daughter that much? I don't
1: think that's the read. And
0: or is it like literally just Carrie's going home? Like I don't, I couldn't. No,
1: I don't think it's that. I think that it's it's. I don't know. I do think that it's carries carries powers. I think it's her subconscious manifesting through her powers and like and tearing it all down because you know she she's not making a conscious decision to do that this is the site of her trauma like this is the this is you know the site of all her pain and she is destroying it like even without meaning to i don't i think it's more just it's supposed to be annihilation like she's annihilating her mother and she's annihilating herself like, without even really meaning to, she's just destroying it all because she's not able to handle it. She's not able to cope with it. And so she just has to level it. I I see that as, as what's happening. Like, it just, you know, her inability to exist in the world. That's what it is. It's just that her bubble of existence being completely wiped out. Which is <laughs> awful and really nihilistic, but... Just, like, that was how I interpreted it. Now, I mean, obviously you could interpret it on a symbolic level as as being, like, a a refutation of the, the Christian fanaticism and being, like, well, guess Satan won this round. <laughs> like, fuck you, you Christian bitch, or whatever. But also, I, I don't find that to be really accurate because you know, to be a sort of devil figure implies extreme intention because, you know, whatever you think of the devil in Christian theology, one thing he must have is intention because, you know, that's the entire reason that he got cast out of hell was, like, his intent to be equal to or greater than God. Like, it can't be someone who is just, like, blindly fumbling through life like Carrie. (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. I just mean that like I I don't think it's supposed to be representative of any kind of like uh, hell uh symbolism except for yes, obviously the with the gym, it is symbolic of hell with the flames and the blood, but I think that's more in contrast. That's just contrast Carrie with what her mom tried to produce by her mom trying to produce a completely sinless holy woman, she created symbolically the opposite.
0: And it's also her mom says, you know, it's the the devil in you. I I And Her then mom fucked the devil. No. Who made Carrie. no. I, I was going <laughs> to say story. it's subconsciously being Carrie, Carrie saying, Well, fine. You know, if that's what you see in me, that's what I'll become. Um
1: I mean, and yes, it could, and and obviously the her murdering her mother in the whether in self defense or otherwise, uh, in the Christ pose is a sort of mockery too, because it's like you know you you played God and look where that got you. <laughs> so mm. you know that um if if you want if you want to be a murderer then you you get to be one. Yeah, it's basically what happens, but. I don't know. It's just it's just that even all that stuff, it never feels 100% intentional on Carrie's part. It always feels very much just like her her wild thrashing subconscious just kind of lashing out and just doing shit for her and her just kind of having to roll with it and not always liking what happens. Which you know, which is really powerful because because that that resonates. Like that's what it feels like a lot of the time when especially when you're very young and you don't know how to you don't know how to process large emotions intense emotions and you know intense physical things that you're going through Uh, it feels like things just kind of happen whether you really want them to or not and i mean that's that's what it's about basically it's it's about (laughs) and that's also part of what makes it so sad is like it's about adulthood, but Carrie doesn't get to reach adulthood. You know, it, she almost gets there, but it it, <laughs> but she doesn't, and and she takes a lot of people <laughs> away from that with her, um, which I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> it's really sad, and I honestly kind of don't like that she dies at the end. Like, I do in that it it at least means that the character gets some dignity from turning into some fucking Michael Myers shit where she just literally can never, ever die and just comes back to do the same thing over and over again.
0: Yeah. Which
1: isn't that great, but um, on the other hand, it's like it feels, because she's so young, it feels that there could be so much more to do with her character, but it almost feels like the movie is like, well... She did just murder a bunch of people. Mm. We don't know what to do with her other than kill her. No, no,
0: I agree with you. I hate the fact that she dies. I the fact that she goes down with the the the, the sight of. Uh, you know, right. you mentioned feels, her destroying the sight of her feels torment. Like that's
1: what she should walk out of. Exactly, like, she the... should be destroying
0: it from the outside.
1: Right, uh,
0: but uh, it's a horror movie. Yeah, exactly. I we guess can the only director is trying to something be. to say, say, trying to say something that I wouldn't try to say, and so she goes down with the ship, as it were.
1: Yeah. Um. I see. I would. Mm. I guess if for me, I would prefer not, not at all, like a happy ending because that wouldn't suit the tone at all. But I would prefer no. an ambiguous ending where she like crawls out. And just staggers away and you just don't know what happens after that like because that's also what it can feel like you know when when you go through a traumatic childhood or young adulthood and then you have to go back into the world and just what do you do you don't know that's so a big question mark
0: basically if the dream sequence at the end was real
1: <laughs> yeah yeah if she dug her way out of the grave with her bare hands actually she wouldn't even need to because she's telekinetics so and right. she could just do whatever I don't, yeah, honestly, so many horror movie villains, I I think, should have just fucking stayed dead. Carrie is, like, the one that dies that I'm like, I don't know, I don't think she should have died. I I think she should have come back. Like, honestly, I'd love to see a sequel to Carrie, but that would require dealing with some really hard questions that I don't think anyone wants to tackle, like, (laughs) because, like... Especially, you know, in the age of, like, school shootings and stuff. Like, what do you do with, like, a very young person who has done a really terrible thing... And yet, maybe doesn't even completely understand what they did. Right? Right, I don't
0: think any writer wants to have to no, deal
1: with the, fall, the legal get...
0: fallout.
1: <laughs> right, the legal of fallout of Car- right, I mean, and how do you keep, a the yeah, you
0: know. keep in a jail it's... cell? Yeah, you keep You take her to court, and then what? The judge dies in the middle of the. And it's... see, it's...
1: I would watch even that. <laughs> I just, I love Carrie. Like, I love how fucking weird she is. Like, it feels like in a lot of movies, like kids getting made fun of and bullied for being weird when they're not really that weird. Like Carrie's just fucking weird. Like you can get why people would make fun (laughs) of her. She is fucking weird. She reacts to stuff insanely. She's like screaming. She looks like sissy SpaceX. So like, she's like beautiful obviously, but she also just looks completely wild all the time. (laughs) Like has a very feral quality about her. Like you just don't know what she's going to do. So I I don't know. I, I just think she's an extremely interesting character and I, I'd love to see more movies with her and less with other horror movie villain of the 80s insert here who I don't care about and yet who continues to get sequels to this very day. Not gonna name any names.
0: I think that's a good place to wrap up, Carrie. Yep. <laughs> I think mean, I've said all the all the thoughts that I remember having.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love Carrie. She deserved better not that that's a hot take but <laughs> yeah.
0: alright well then we'll see you in the second half hey everyone thanks for checking out our show give us a follow on twitter at sounds Familiar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids ufos and anything else strange and spooky if that sounds like your thing be sure to listen to i hope you exist on your favorite podcast service we love you now back to the show Welcome back to Sounds Familiar. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very ready to discuss Matilda.
1: I am mostly ready as well.
0: Mostly ready. (laughs) By very ready, I don't mean that I'm incredibly prepared and I have brought in collated sources. Um, Uh I just mean I'm excited to talk about Matilda. Because I I really, really enjoyed this watch through of it. Um, I had quite a lot of thoughts many of which were uh very different from yours and directly contradictory (laughs) um
1: keep in mind i have seen this movie exactly once if we're gonna go ahead and get into experiences and i saw it as an adult like i i I've, i've heard of this movie you know growing up but i had never seen it kind of like for some reason kind of surprised that I've never seen it up until now um probably weren't
0: allowed to watch it because it was witchcraft isn't it?
1: I don't know I, I hadn't even heard of it as a kid I didn't really hear of it until I was a teenager um uh, yeah no I our our time watching this for for the podcast was the first time I had ever seen it um uh, yeah and I had heard of it but I didn't really know that much about it except that it was like based on a, a Roald Dahl book I believe um and, um, yeah, like, I, I enjoyed it. it. I think I enjoy certain aspects of it a lot and certain other aspects a lot less. And I want to enjoy it a lot more because a lot of the subject matter is very personal to me. And, like, stuff that I tend to enjoy seeing explored in film but maybe it's the fact that it wasn't explored in the ways that I would explore it or that I was expecting. I don't know. We'll get into that a little bit later, but but fundamentally, I, I did enjoy it, and for reasons that I will also get into later, I found it really refreshing and like different from a lot of movies from that time period, or actually any time period in the stuff that it was willing to address. Mm. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was an interesting experience.
0: Uh, so, me, I have seen this before. I know for a fact I saw it several times as a kid, but honestly, this is probably the first time I've seen it in almost two decades. I remembered the cake scene and the pokey, and <laughs> that's about it.
1: The chokey. Chokey,
0: yeah. I knew pokey wasn't right.
1: Honestly, pokey seems more <laughs> appropriate, but
0: the chokey, yeah. That's that's about all I remember, honestly um you know uh, until until we watched it uh, so
1: you saw it a few times as a kid and then didn't yeah. see it again until now yes okay makes sense um yeah i i honestly am a little sad that i did not get to see it as a kid but I, because i feel like if i had grown up watching it as i take it a lot of people our age probably did uh I would have really, really loved it. Like it seems like something that I would have really latched onto as a kid for, for some obvious reasons. Um, and and I'm a little sad that I didn't get to have that experience. But that's a that's a frequent feeling on this podcast. So <laughs> uh, anytime we talk about something that is a a millennial Gen Z childhood favorite, I'm like, oh, it would have been nice to have been exposed to that when I was a kid.
0: Thank God you're married to me.
1: Yeah, I know. Getting uh, all the culture through osmosis.
0: Yeah, you, uh, the nostalgia baiting. You get you get yeah. to live, the, yeah. uh, experience the nostalgia vicariously
1: through. Hey, and I get to be the true test of whether it holds up or not. <laughs> As a, an uninitiated adult. I mean, I say the true test. Obviously, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it can be interesting to run these things through, like, the filter of someone who didn't grow up with them.
0: Yes. <laughs> So Matilda is the story of a young girl who is very intelligent and grows up in a family that is nothing like her and are stupid and cruel and downright evil in some ways. And all they want to do, uh, her, her dad is a used car salesman that knowingly sells people terrible cars for way more than they're worth. And all they want to do is sit down and just watch mindless game shows and she wants to read her books and go to public school. They literally forget to enroll her in public school. A thing that you legally have to do. Um, Sorry, not public school specifically, but you do have to like you are required to enroll your child in some form of education. Um, And her and her developing telekinetic powers um and getting sent to an intensely strict boarding school run by another horrible person
1: Is it a boarding uh, school?
0: Private school.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's boarding, not a boarding school. school. Sorry. There, but yes.
0: Sorry. Wrong type of fascism. I was going to um, say
1: we're still in a dead poets mode.
0: Uh, she gets into a private school run by a truly horrible British school marm. Um, even though this is middle America.
1: Right, it's it's a...
0: Hey, Obama's America, right? <laughs> Place is ill-defined
1: <laughs> in this movie.
0: And there she meets a... I'm just giving a whole plot summary now. Um, a nice teacher who appreciates her for what she is. And who she is. <sighs> okay. So.
1: Hopefully they can't. The kitty purring into the oh microphone. yeah terrible
0: apologies if you hear kitties purring directly it's, into the microphone she is
1: sitting right in front of it and absolutely demanding to be petted
0: uh stephanie do you have any specific thoughts or should i just dive into mine instead of going through the story beat by beat
1: oh gosh
0: So Matilda has to become very (laughs) self-sufficient from an early age because when she gets brought from the home from the hospital, her parents literally forget her in the car. Then she has to learn how to cook herself breakfast at the age of two, and then at the age of like three or four, her parents leave her alone every day for like eight hours at a time, and she just goes to the public library and gets a library card and reads and reads and reads and reads and reads. reads. (laughs) An intensely intelligent and curious child.
1: This movie is so fucking depressing. Like, at, to but the it, point where it hampered my ability to enjoy it. But at
0: least it has a happy ending and that's it, all that matters. It, all ends well.
1: Yes, it's just... <laughs> I don't want to say tonally inconsistent. That's not really the right word. It's just that this movie is all about taking the absolute cutest fucking children you that were available in, in the world in the 90s and just like having terrible shit happen to them, and people be so mean to them, the entire movie—that's literally that's the entire movie—is cute, polite children and people being mean to them. Yes, it, it's a also, it's a distressing watch.
0: Yes, we have to remember that this is based on a Roald doll story, and remember when he grew up, and that this couldn't be partially autobiographical, if not you know a bit uh, embellished.
1: Oh, I'm sure it is. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I know.
0: So we're, we're, we're translating a story from, what, Edwardian England something. to America in the 90s. There might be a little this bit of total distance. Lot. We have to... <sighs> okay. I think this movie, the difference between you and me, isn't necessarily that I saw it as a kid and you didn't. I think it could be a framing issue. I think it could be a lens. It, it might be. Because sometimes I know for me, my inability to get, or if I don't get something out of a movie, sometimes it's because of my inability to see it through a particular lens, right? Like, yes, I love um, Cosmonaut Pictures Show. I love Cosmonaut Marcus and his videos on YouTube. But he has the ability to watch the shittiest movies on Earth through a lens in which he can almost always enjoy them, okay? He enjoys bad movies. I I have a much, much harder time with that. Now, show me uh, a mid-budget black-and-white sci-fi movie from the 50s. I can enjoy the crap out of that.
1: Even if it's bad? Even that if your it's opinion? bad? Yeah,
0: not everyone can. So yeah. he can enjoy Daredevil. I can't. I can take Matilda warts and all. You're going to be a bit more likely to be like, mm-hmm. I- whereas I'm just like, it's just it's the convention I
1: think I think that part of it is the fact I really do believe that part of it is the fact that I'm watching it as an adult I think I could be more willing to accept the weirdness and the incongruity of it as a kid but watching it as an adult I I, I, I fear I, I get severe cinema sins brain with it I, I try not to I really do but I'm over here like I what, what the hell is Name this school? What is this? Where Did it spring out of the ground? Is there no school board? Are there no staff members? Like, how much money does fucking whatever her fuck Miss Trenchbull have that every teacher there, which, by the way, we don't see a single other teacher except Miss Honey, unless I am completely mistaken. We do see
0: other staff. We just don't see other okay, teachers. Okay, we don't see... They we have know, no lines. No, they we do We know nothing. there are other teachers.
1: Okay, my point being like, she is literally the only person with any power at the school, as we're supposed to believe. Mm-hmm. There's no school board. Okay, it's a There's private school. There's no parents who know anything. She just runs the whole thing out of her own pocket. I look, don't know. Because we're not. No, no. I just, I don't buy it. I no, just don't No, because you're not it. supposed to. It's Wait, allegorical. Wait, okay? it doesn't. Look, it it doesn't... It, it, <sighs>
0: this, this movie has such fantastical elements. It's borderline fairy tale. No, I okay? know that. I, yes, look, I, one... I know that. Okay, so it's a private school. All right, so they have almost unlimited. They can do basically whatever they want.
1: Okay, so why are people sending their kids there? Are no because there are no this is a schools. story
0: about the powerlessness of children. No, I'm and aware the people of who that. To I'm ser-
1: aware of that, but the story should work.
0: I think it does. I don't know. I think you're looking too closely at it. I don't know. You're wanting to hold up a magnifying glass to the wrong parts of it. It's the, mm-hmm. It's a storytelling convention. It's fairy tale. It's saying here's the truth. <laughs> Here's Maybe what it to is. me,
1: it's just that I think it would work better if it spoke a little more closely to how children would actually experience these things. And I
0: think it does.
1: I don't know. I, I think it's,
0: it's, I it's heightened, yes, but I don't disagree with it. In fact, I love it. I quite appreciate what it's trying to okay, say. I will say for... what I
1: did say to Caleb, I think while we were watching it. Which is that I think, honestly, the fact that it's set in the the present day, quote-unquote, hurts it a little bit in my eyes. I think if it had been set even in whatever fucking time period Roll Dahl grew up in, like, even if it was, like, the very early 1900s or, or if it was, like, fucking Charles Dickensian Victorian England or something, I think I could have accepted it so much easier like, if it was kind of all over twisty, you know? And, like, horrible shit just be happening to these kids and there's absolutely no oversight and no one questions anything and no parents are involved and there's no school board. And, like, fucking sure. Like, yeah. I think... I, th- I guess the sticking point for me was that it is very obviously just, like, middle America. Like, very recognizable settings and, like, recognizable types of characters but then just like occasionally not even frequently just occasionally throwing in this utterly absurd fantastical shit in a way that I never completely gelled for me and that i know that could be just taste i, I don't know may I? Y- yes you may you
0: okay may. so i don't to me the time period the setting does not does not affect me at all i this is ultimately a story for children Okay, and I the heightenedness of it one does work for me. Can it be a little totally strange sometimes? Like, yes, I agree. Like the entire first half of the movie, she doesn't even go to the school until the second half, until about the halfway point, right? Yeah. Or maybe maybe a third of the, the way. I think Maybe a third too, of the way through. Right? And then you know the principal literally flings a girl by her pigtails a half mile across the school lawn. Yes, it's heightened. It's fantastical, but it's
1: yeah,
0: it's. A, yes. it's from a child's perspective. It's from a six year old no, point of view. Of course, of course. And so this is about as I said previously, about the powerlessness of the children. And it's also it's from their perspective, the heightened perspective. And I just appreciate so much what this movie is trying to say. No, I do too. That's
1: why it's frustrating for me is because I do. Like, I do actually like a lot of it. And I like, you know, the fact that it centers the experience of children in a way that is not comfortable for a lot of movies to talk about. Like, I do like that. I think that's honestly why it makes me more frustrated with the stuff that I don't like as much. What were you saying?
0: So, (laughs) I think you and I are disagreeing over the minutiae.
1: Yes, And I'm going yes, to move to that's...
0: overarching themes. Yes,
1: obviously, yeah. <laughs> no, I so, think we agree on those.
0: A line that is said multiple times in the movie, slightly differently, is Matilda is told by an authority figure, I'm big, you're little, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm right, you're wrong. Okay. Which, frustratingly, infuriatingly, to me, to this day is a point is a perspective that so many adults have. Yeah. Okay? You can be 20 fucking 7 years old and a coworker who's 10 years older than you will say the same thing. All right? You'll be in high school and your teacher who's and all your teachers will be telling you the same thing. No matter how old you are, what is it's the these children that you spit on as they try to change their world are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware what they're going through. David fucking Bowie. Okay? I want that David. quote tattooed on my goddamn face, okay? I,
1: you could tattoo it on your
0: back. I almost said back, actually. Um,
1: <laughs> or on, like, your thighs.
0: It's... <laughs> your
1: ass.
0: It's just... Children have so little power and so little agency... This story does the age difference between Matilda and Carrie does ultimately make it a slightly different story.
1: It's about different this, stages. It's of about life. different
0: stages of life, but it, it, different types of powerlessness, similar feelings, but but different all the same. And
1: yeah, God for, forbid, Matilda the, had to go through puberty with all this shit going on. <laughs> yeah, she probably would have carried some people too.
0: And this is. It's about how, you know, children are people too with thoughts and feelings and emotions and they're not always going to be exactly what you want them to be. And, you know, that's something that uh, uh, high school teachers fail to realize, it seems like. Okay, Uh, Stephanie and I used to be substitute teachers and it is remarkable how little effort it takes to, to get a high school student on your side or to say, wow, you're the nicest sub I've ever had. All it takes is treating them like people and not subhuman animals. And that's partially what this movie is about and showcases is, is empathy towards an understanding of children as human beings and individuals. And in this movie, Miss Honey, uh, Matilda's teacher, is the only person capable of doing that and you know so that i i love the the what this movie is trying to say and to showcase matilda is so different from her family that her dad literally punishes her for being smart um, anytime his authority is questioned which just means she's pointing out that he's wrong which he frequently is she gets punished he forgets to sign her up for, or register for sign her up for school 2 months late she gets she gets yelled at, you know, He she properly answers a math question he proposes and she gets in trouble um, because it's a questioning. It's a perceived questioning of his authority. Mm-hmm. It's a subversion of it, um, which is, I guess, another right, part like that
1: adults, I... adults love children that are smart up until a point. Until right until they're too smart. <laughs> right. Adults
0: don't love smart children. Adults love children who are able to, who are self-sufficient and also don't question them.
1: Right, right. Um, kids who aren't wh- so dumb that they can't like get through the shit that adults tell them to do, but like who are smart enough to do, to handle what's thrown at them but not smart enough that they want to go beyond that.
0: <laughs> right. And th- this the movie lampoons a type of person that I hate very much. Uh, the god what was it? the uh, people who uh, whose authority cannot be questioned mm-hmm. um you know i am om- i am nearing my 30s and i to this day have a hatred and distrust of uh school administrators like the middle <laughs> management people like the ones who don't answer the phones but they're not the, not the principal the ones who wander wa- wander around with a walkie-talkie on their waist whose entire job is to punish te- teenagers for perceived slights
1: yeah um and that's... You have to wonder who really wants to do that kind of job.
0: But they do, which is my response to why is Miss Trunchbull the principal of the school? Because some people crave authority, and the only place they can assert it is over people who have less power than themselves. She hates children, but guess what? She, it's Although she does assert her power everywhere, it's just easiest for her to implement yeah. it en masse in this school that she inherited. I mean... At least I'm assuming she inherited it.
1: I don't know it's never fucking clear we, we, we might as well get into that was another thing that I kind of it's so cartoony it took me out of it a little bit I know I know you don't have to say it I know that's just the movie fairy tale but also maybe it, maybe it's a personal wrinkling for me because you know we love to project ourselves and our experiences onto movies right? I'll admit, I'm not innocent of that. Especially when it's this kind of subject matter, which is very, very sensitive to me and very close to my experiences uh, and my uh, childhood trauma TM. Uh, I think part of what bothered me about her character is that the movie repeatedly insists upon telling us that she hates children. Not just that she's angry at children. Not just that she, you know, is annoyed and frustrated and like, be being crazy about the shit that children do, but specifically tells us that she hates children and thinks they can never be good. And to me, that is not true to just about anyone who is mean to children. Like, weirdly enough, <laughs> most people that I know that don't like children just try to stay away from them. Like, the people that you really have to watch out for when it comes to children are the ones that claim to love them. And, like... Claim to want what's best for them more specifically and want to teach them what's right and make them into great young people. You know, that now there are a lot of good people who will do that too. But in my experience, and I think the experience of a lot of people, the people that are really cruel to children are the ones that claim to be doing it with their best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. And and that I think is what just kept bothering me because I was like, this is not a real person and I know she's not supposed to be a real person she's supposed to be a caricature but even a caricature I think would be would be more of a Miss Umbridge fucking Harry Potter kind of person like be insisting that she's doing it for the good of children while clearly not actually liking them but the fact that she says it I think is what bothered me I think like no person who was this cruel to children would ever say that they that they hate them if that makes any sense at all. That was the one part that really just rang absolutely false to me.
0: I'm trying to remember. There was a video I watched that mentioned that she is a character that very strongly resembles a Dickensian character. Oh, certainly.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I, even down to this the is, name sounds like a Dickensian name. I don't know what the story was. The I whole story I is Dickensian. I can't make a point. Yes. Which is part so of I, why I think that it would have been nice to set it in Victorian London. I would have bought it a little I bit more. I don't
0: think <laughs> the difference between someone who actively, outwardly says they hate children is that different from, say, the headmaster in Dead Poet Society, who they say...
1: No, the, I they, think, they, I they think do, there's a world of difference. They do
0: everything they do because they're claiming to to make the... They're doing everything they do to the children in order to make them proper adults. They're beating the children out of them. No,
1: I know. That's... I agree with that. I'm just saying that, like, that kind of person and that type, that archetype, if you will even in a fictional fictional setting, they're always doing that with the intention of what's best for the child because that's the way so many terrible things happen is what's best for the children. Mm -hmm. You know, think of the children.
0: Yes, but also let's go back to the six-year-old's perspective. Well, obviously the six-year-old thinks
1: that they hate children. How
0: many children have, you know, had to deal with a really strict principle and just and assumed, just wow, like that person them. really yes. hates children. No,
1: and that's... I totally agree with that. Because they, with their actions, they are hating the children. Like, their actions are hate. Mm-hmm. Their, their actions are not love. I think like, this that is just sense. the
0: next step of that. This yes, I just
1: think that it's just a difference of opinion, ultimately. I, I get that. And once again, it's a fantastical story. I think that's what most of our disagreements are going to come down to. And honestly, I feel a little bad about it. Because usually I'm very much like you know, if it's fantastical, then you just got to let it be fantastical. And I agree with that. And I think maybe a little bit of this could be personal bias because like I said, that, you know, the, the experiences of children, especially at the hands of like un, un, unfeeling or unsympathetic adults is something that I care about a lot. And I honestly think is really underrepresented in media because it's very uncomfortable. And Most movies don't like to tackle that, especially from a child's perspective. No, American society
0: doesn't like to recognize that children are individuals and have rights.
1: Well, they certainly don't like to recognize that sometimes the, the people who are given almost complete godlike control over a child's life aren't always actually that good at it. You right. Know?
0: Which this movie that's... ultimately does. Matilda right, no, that's leaves very her good, family. Hey, hey. She, gets, she gets adopted by Miss Honey.
1: Yeah, which is and... insane. That's basically like having a gay wedding like sorry right, that's like, like the 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 child equivalent of having a gay wedding at the end of a 90s
0: movie. Right? Her parents didn't die. She wasn't an orphan. She literally she found a new a new family, someone that she wanted to call mother and then made it happen. Right, right. Right? Like how What? What an amazing ending is that! I the child was given enough single Other
1: children's media that has
0: to choose content. her own family. Even Harry Potter couldn't leave the freaking Umbridge's until he was eighteen. Right. Sorry, it might have been seventeen. I don't freaking remember. It was probably seventeen. Anyway,
1: <laughs> things are sh- things are different over there like, across yeah, the pond. Yeah, it's. Um. Well, that's the thing, and, and you know, I, I've I've talked some shit about this movie. I I have my frustrations, but. I do, one thing I, I really do appreciate about it is that, you know, I think in the 90s especially, I mean, this has always been true of American cinema, especially that aimed at children, but in the 90s there was this weird, once you start to notice it, you can't stop noticing it, this weird thing about, like, in particular I remember, like, um like divorcing couples or couples on the verge of divorce, like, getting back together, like, was a thing in some 90s movies. Yeah. Like and it always kind of grossed me out. I was like, maybe adults can just decide to get divorced if they think that that's what's best for them, it's, and they don't need some fucking like random shenanigans to make them oh realize they really love each other. Like, it's the
0: cycle. It's, it's a the up and coming is yeah. having to deal with the fallout of their no. families, their parents' contentious relationships yes. in the seventies. No, 70s. that's
1: absolutely true. It's latchkey kids. I get that. It's a fantasy. You want your parents to be together. Even if that wasn't really what was best for them. Like, that, that makes sense. It always kind of rang kind of false to me and sort of like, well, at the point when people are getting divorced, it's not because they had a fight and just decided to throw it all away. It's because they really probably should not be together. <laughs> like, whether that's a one-sided thing or not. If one person doesn't want to be with the other, then that's just how it's got to fucking be. <laughs> like, you know? Um, Anyway, I noticed that a lot in in, uh, movies from that era, which seems to speak to a very conservative view of the nuclear family. Like, the nuclear family must be preserved at all costs. And because Matilda came out in the 90s, it feels very unique. Yeah, because she
0: leaves her nuclear family to go be with a single mom.
1: Yeah, not even like a a mom and dad, just like a woman, a single unmarried woman. Which
0: also is great for the woman because she lost her entire family. Miss Honey, Miss Honey's parents both died.
1: Oh yeah. Her tragic backstory.
0: And, uh, the, you know, tr- her, uh, evil aunt left. And now she and Matilda both have a new family, which is like,
1: it's a blended it's, family, it's nice yeah. for
0: both of them. Yeah. The, 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 um, mid thirties, probably single woman with no family finds a new family as well as the the child who's not even an orphan like, right what a concept
1: like, <laughs> right it, it's it, it feel it it's a very pure thing and yet it feels subversive especially for the time period I mean even now but especially at the time um, and
0: we say all this not knowing how the book ends
1: I, I actually um, don't yeah I know nothing about the
0: book. I, we I've never nothing. read a single world doll book all I know is uh, uh, apparently he was uh, a raving racist and incredibly <laughs> misogynistic.
1: I I believe um, that. I definitely believe that. I also think he had some issues with fat kids. Yes, or maybe was Be- between one Augustus at a Gloop point. and
0: Trenchbowl. You've got the fat I was phobia like, and I the misogyny. S- I am
1: sensing some issues here. Like this boy definitely maybe was a fat child or like it was accused of being fat. Yeah, like yeah. That's also the thing with Miss Trenchbowl. It's like uh, it it very much falls into the good woman bad woman archetype thing it well it doesn't help that miss honey is like a thin gorgeous soft-spoken woman right and the like, evil
0: within is expressed on the outside Right,
1: and miss trunchbull is like loud very masculine and honestly i could have uh, oh fat sorry let's not forget about that one and I could have excused all that if it wasn't for that one line about the why are all the women married or something like that line. Uh, which was very weird. Poem, which was weird. It sticks out. It doesn't because there's nothing else about Miss Trunchbull being... There's nothing about her uh, being unlucky in love. There's nothing about her being a lesbian. There's nothing about anything like that. It's just randomly out of nowhere. Like, oh, I don't like when women are married. So it's like these weird like two feminist connotations but she's obviously not because she's like terrible to the girls and boys alike and like expresses no other feminist proclivities no right it's it's super weird and i was just like whatever the 90s got a 90s i guess
0: there is another line that's very strange but also kind of, kind of funny in its own right but it's, it's it's very strange all the kids are laughing because she has a salamander. On her, no, she's about to drink a salamander, right, right in, a, in a glass. And um, she says, what? What is it? Come on out with it. I enjoy a good joke as much as the next fat person.
1: I <laughs> laughed so hard at that line until I stopped and was like, wait. What's the joke? Right. I Because I, I, my brain heard it as like a, com- a comedian, like a fat comedian, like – Making a joke like, "Hey, I I enjoy a joke as much as the next the, fat person." The kids like, aren't even making a. The kids
0: aren't even making a fat joke. The kids are just laughing.
1: Right. Just- <laughs> that was the weirdest fucking lie. I swear to God, I do not know what that was about. Like because I laughed at it for something that I don't think it was trying to say. Like I laughed at it as like a self-referential thing, but then I was like, "Wait, Miss Trunchbull would never make a joke at the expense of herself." So what the fuck does this mean?
0: All right. I'm I'm gonna start using. I enjoy a good joke as much as the next white guy. Yeah, like, I, right. Like
1: it's, it felt weirdly self aware in a way that that character never, never would be exactly. And so I I do not know what the fuck was going on with that.
0: I think you hit the nail. On the
1: head. I can't believe I actually like enjoyed a joke like oh, laughing with a fat person for like a split second. That I was like, wait.
0: I shouldn't be laughing with the I fat wasn't, person.
1: I wasn't being asked to laugh with the fat person. I was being la- asked to laugh at them. Yeah, it, it, it was weird. It was weird. But then also, she makes the fat kid eat the cake, and and like he actually emerges the victor of that confrontation. So like fat positivity. For which a I mean,
0: second? The, the the movie is conf- which is part, <laughs> that, that part wasn't the book. Mm. Um
1: no that was a great scene i honestly loved it i was like
0: story is weirdly conflicted and yes it it is it's that scene as a kid is actually kind of terrifying no i'm sure it is
1: like force feeding is one of those things um, that it has to be presented in an extremely positive uh funny context or i'm just gonna throw up like i i can't watch it It, it's so distressing um
0: but that's like the first major moment that her power is subverted right because of matilda
1: And in a really, like, beautiful, kind of, like, positive way, too. It's just, like, it's because she's the one who sets the terms of it. And they go based on her terms. They're Mm -hmm. like, "You bitch, you turned this into an endurance challenge. You turned this into a sporting event. So we're going to treat it like one. And, like, even the kid who she's victimizing there, like, turns it into one. And it's just so, like, nice for a second. It's like, oh, like... You know, like she's trying to sh- trying to shame him for like whatever, like being a fat kid and liking cake. Like, like even a skinny kid doesn't fucking love cake. It's,
0: but it's one of those moments that I took strange pride in, and I can't think of any examples now. And if I did, they'd probably be super cringy. Um, <laughs> of I fully support students fi- exploiting weird and like innocuous loopholes in rules just for the purpose of doing it
1: yeah like just because you can
0: exactly just because you can like oh you know the rule book doesn't technically say that i can't wear this thing so i'm gonna wear it no matter how ridiculous i look and you can't tell me not to
1: stick it to the man man. hell yeah stick
0: Mm -hmm. it to the old people you know like i will fully support our kids like, what are you doing? Why are you taking that to school? Rulebook doesn't say we can't. All right, cool. All
1: right, guess you got to <laughs> like, do it. You know,
0: I'll be waiting for the phone call and then I can tell the office, well, you know, I read the rulebook, you know, they can technically- can wait to be
1: one of those obnoxious parents. Oh, I'm 100% kind of, yeah,
0: absolutely. No, um, I am No, that's that. what it is. It, it's, it's finding ways to regain power within the confines of the restrictive system you're presented with and the the people in positions of power don't expect you to find anything or to be able to find any joy or any power in it and then but you do and they can only be so angry or they can't do anything about it because you'd met them on their terms
1: right, and all exactly. they can
0: do is die mad about it
1: exactly right like they set they set the the rules and if you operate within their rules then it's like it's it's a particular kind of annoying for them because, like, they basically got themselves into that situation. Right.
0: Um, and to quote Futurama, you are technically correct. The best kind of correct.
1: <laughs> <The> be- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's also nice because especially when we think about Roll doll, I mean, we think about the treatment of the other kid who loved sweets and, you know, the other Roll doll thing. Oy. Uh, you know, which is basically oof, like, oof. here is a child who is horrible and immoral and should be punished because he checks notes, is a child because who likes to eat chocolate. sweets, right? Like, yeah. a child who ate some chocolate that he wasn't supposed to, the worst thing any child can do, you know? And that very known. few children will ever do is eat some things that they weren't supposed to, Look, you know? Quick, quick
0: sidebar. Any and all love that I have for the original uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory rests entirely upon the shoulders of Gene Wilder.
1: I mean, that's <laughs> the only reason I like anything that Gene Wilder is in is because, because of, of Gene Wilder. Wilder. <laughs> not because of many other factors. Let's be honest wow. here. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. That's more just me.
0: I am um, also one of the the the, the few who... um enjoys Johnny Depp's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> uh,
1: No comment except that the cannibalism line does make me laugh every time. <laughs> which is
0: in fact cannibalism, my dear children, which is in fact frowned upon in most society. Yes,
1: okay, that one actually does make me laugh. <laughs> I have no love for that movie aside from that one. <laughs> no, I well, okay, I actually do like some of the backstory with the dentist father because you know I love me a, a, a daddy. Son of backstory. mine is going to
0: be a chocolate. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, once again, it's it's parental trauma all the way down. Oh. Once you see, once you see through that matrix, you will start to see it in every movie. Let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: honestly. I... Th- <laughs> I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory might function better as a storytelling movie, like, film, than I Willy mean, Wonka. I mean,
1: there is more effort put into it. I will at least put it <laughs> that Willy way. Willy Wonka
0: and the Chocolate Factory is just, like, a series of vignettes.
1: Yes. As many movies in the 70s were, at least popular movies, mm. you know. The... So like,
0: and then this thing happened. Cut, well, and mean, then this thing happened.
1: I mean, this is, like, slightly different, but, like, think about Disney movies pre-19, I'll say 80s. Pre-Disney renaissance, honestly. Well, pre... I mean, not, know,
0: not it, all of them are just vignettes. You know, we, but, you, but uh, then you've got your Sword uh, in the Stones, uh, which is... The Sword in the Stone Well, that one's very vignette Yes, that's that's all it is. It feels like a much more high-budget version of yes. one of those direct-to-DVD Disney sequels, which was actually the first three episodes of a TV series that never ended up happening.
1: Oh, dear God. I didn't even know that
0: was a thing. Yes, the Atlanta sequel sense. is just the first three episodes of a TV series well, that never got going a full to watch order. It, so it's fine. oh, that's what you think. That's okay, uh, sweetie.
1: Oh um, well, it's fine. I there's not enough alcohol in the world. Um, <laughs> it's
0: that's... not that bad. It's pretty good actually. I enjoy some of the stories. The only one, the, the weakest one, is the 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 the, the,
1: sure. the
0: Norse the Norse one. Sure. But um, and the fact that Michael J. Fox isn't in it. But... I wouldn't know, but yeah.
1: I do love my man. You it's have Michael watched. J. Fox.
0: You have, I do too. You, uh, longtime listeners, should uh, be aware of that. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway. What were we on about? Me,
1: um, so, oh my God, what were we talking about? We We went in a loop about, oh, the fat kid. Oh, that didn't come out right. <laughs> the little boy who ate the cake. The little boy who could. Yeah, the little boy who could. You know, good for him. No, and that's just—I mean, it's once again—I I'm watching this with adult eyes, but like all—which the... I mean,
0: hey—is a good good thing we have you here because otherwise it would just be me gushing for a half it's childhood hour. Childhood, um, I, I get um, it. How, no, it's not. But how like, do you have that. You know,
1: what? it's just such what a what stressful watch because, like, I I love children and like. I love, like, a smart, like, weirdly well-spoken child more than just about anything in the world. And, like, that's, like, every kid in this movie is, like, just, like, an adorable tiny child just, like, being very polite and well-spoken. And then just, like, someone being made to them. Okay. okay. It's awful. I, something, hate I it. something
0: I thought of at the beginning but didn't want to bring up right at the beginning. <laughs> Matilda's parents think she is a horrible, rotten child who just all she does is backtalk and doesn't listen and misbehaves and gets in trouble.
1: Mm.
0: And at the end, Matilda says, I don't. Her family has to run, run away to a, a different country because her uh, father is wanted by the, f- uh, the feds. And Matilda says, I don't want to leave. I want to stay with Miss Honey. And her mom says, well, who would want you Or who would want such, uh, uh, paraphrasing here, uh, a miserable, snot-nosed, disobedient little brat. And Miss Honey steps in and says, I think she's a wonderful, brilliant child who's, you know, just delightful and and I love her. And I just think that's so powerful. Um, I might have said this already, but, you know, some parents all they want out of their kids is to be either a miniature version of them or a just someone who has their same values, but all, but listens to everything they say unquestioningly and you know, just doesn't cause any problems. Doesn't raise any issues. Doesn't question anything. Just does what they're told silently. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And then just sits there and eats their dinner and does the dishes and goes to bed quietly. Um, and because some some people really do perceive any question as an assault on their impunable authority and when in reality all it is is just an intelligence and inquisitiveness and a desire to learn and to know and to to stand up for what's right which as much this movie is as much about empathy towards for children as it is about Matilda's empathy for others um, you know she she doesn't uh, or she is the one who stands up for the boy who is forced to eat the whole cake um, she doesn't turn in her friend who put the salamander in the, the water jug she um, breaks into the terrifying principal's house to steal back the beloved childhood doll of her favorite teacher it's she is an incredibly intelligent and empathetic child, and it's all about the perspective of the adults in her life and the fact that she gets to choose who she wants to be with and that it is someone who appreciates her and who is like her. I, I don't know. I don't remember what a point I was originally making, but this is where I ended up, and See, I like it.
1: I think, I mean, your read, like, with the parents, it makes sense. I was even a little confused with them, and I think the the basis of my confusion is her brother... It was very easy to forget because he has very little role in the story. He has like one line. And I think if I were directing it, which I didn't because I'm not Danny DeVito. Spoiler alert. I had no idea he was the one who directed this. Uh, uh, Anyways, that was really funny to me. I don't know why. I don't think he's directed many things. But anyway, he did a good job. Um, If I were the director, I would have not included that character. Because just the mere existence of her brother complicated things in a way that I don't think the movie was prepared to handle. Which is to say that if he hadn't existed, then it would have just... It would have been her parents just were not fucking equipped to have a child. And which would make sense for the neglectfulness. Like... um. Because that aspect made it very much seem like they were just people who didn't know how to have a child. You know, the fact that they neglected her from when she was a baby made it seem more like that. Because you could say later, like, well, they liked her brother and not her because she was smart and, like, asked questions and stuff. But they were neglecting her from literally, like, when she was born.
0: Well, the movie does... kind of, they, they They address it offhandedly... Um, Danny DeVito's character or her dad's character literally calls her a mistake. They never wanted her from day one.
1: Yeah, and they wanted him. They, like yeah, they, they were, really they were wanted happy with the one
0: child. They I don't know. Wanted. They don't they seem wanted.
1: like people who wanted a child. I don't know. It once again, it's your mileage may vary, but it was a weird choice to me because I think it could have worked also if they were like. Oh, well, we like your brother and not you because, like, he is a good child and doesn't ask questions and is exactly like us, which kind of seemed to be what they were going for. But once again, the fact that they never paid any attention to her and were completely neglectful from the time she was an infant when she had absolutely no personality or tendencies whatsoever kind of gave the lie to that. It seemed like they were trying to have it both ways. Like, these people don't want to be parents, but also these pe- people don't want to be parents to this particular type of child. I think it, they should have just not. chose one or the other.
0: That's a spell
1: gripe, Whatever.
0: Um, fun fact. Uh, so, Dana DeVito plays Matola's dad. Rhea mm-hmm. Perlman plays Matilda's mom. Rhea Perlman, famous for being in, uh, one of the main characters in Cheers. Uh, apparently, oh. she and Dana DeVito are married really and were at the time too i did not know she that. loves
1: a short king <laughs> she loves good a short for king. her good for her yeah they stand a real queen um yeah it, anyways i mean once again minor gripes i it's all out of love because like i said like i just appreciate the fuck out of a movie that that is willing to be like sometimes Parents are bad, which is, like, such a basic thing that almost everyone knows is true, even if not their own parents. They intimately know it of other people's parents. And, you know, a a lot of people do know it of their own parents. And yet it's something that very little media, especially children's media, ever addresses. Like, the closest children's media usually comes is the dreaded step parent or whatever but that just rings very false to me because it's like yeah it's easy to make an outsider interloping on your family dynamic into the bad guy it's not so easy to say this person who pushed you out of their vagina is actually not going to be nice to you like that's a lot harder it's one
0: thing to like pull a parent trap and be like oh this bitch who's coming and trying to replace my mom as opposed to being like My biological mom and dad are horrible people, and I do not... Yeah. I have nothing in common with them, and they treat me horribly.
1: Or even just my biological mom and dad, and this will sure as hell never get tackled by children's media because it's too complicated, but my biological mom and dad aren't horrible people, but they shouldn't have been parents, or they should have been parents in a very different way, and the way they treated me was not okay, and I deserved better. Like... That's the reality for a lot of people, and yet children's media almost never tackles anything of that kind because it's, I don't know, for various reasons, it's too depressing, it's too complicated, people maybe don't want to acknowledge it, and yet that's the reality for a lot of children, so maybe it should be more of a thing, and maybe we shouldn't be having to talk about Matilda as a complete standalone phenomenon. Because maybe it shouldn't be the only popular children's story that I'm currently aware of. Especially movie form that really addresses that. Yet it kind of is, maybe. I don't know.
0: Citation needed, <laughs> so, but nothing comes to citation. mind at the moment. The fact
1: that nothing is immediately coming to mind already kind of makes it seem like there's too few stories of that type. Like, I don't know. It's... It's weird to think about because it feels like a negative parent-child dynamic is one of one of the core foundations of of trauma that people take around with them, and yet it's extremely underexplored, especially from a child's perspective. Because I guess it makes people have not good feelings, which is totally fair. (laughs) They don't want to explore it. They don't want to have to talk to kids about it, because there's nothing worse than looking a child in the eyes and being like, the people who have complete control over your life might very well just ruin it for you. (laughs) And you might have to walk around for the rest of your life dealing with the fallout of that, and there's literally nothing I can do to help you except to be like, hang in there, champ. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> the thing everyone wants to say to to an innocent child in a bad situation yeah
0: it's just a motivational poster of a cat hanging yeah. it says hang in there
1: <laughs> hang in there kiddo you too might develop telekinetic powers but probably not probably you will just have to deal with it
0: yeah you're not going to be one of the x-men
1: <laughs> you're just going to yeah. be a sad sad person with trauma like the rest of
0: us yeah
1: and that's what both these movies are about. Woo Alright. Alright. I uh
0: I thoroughly enjoyed watching both of these and I look forward to watching them again in the future. No, actually. I did
1: I did too. I mm-hmm. did too.
0: I was fully invested in both of them. I I they both made me think a lot. I yeah. enjoyed that.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, they, they both really put you in that position of being a vulnerable, confused, and maybe kind of angry young person, it, which is you know, not very distant for us, but one day could be. And I think it's important to be reminded of that, especially right. if you're dealing with people who are going through that kind it's of thing. It's important
0: to try and hold on to that. Mm-hmm stay angry young people
1: <laughs> stay pissed and don't let the adults get away with shit I, I
0: i i aspire to be god i wish i knew what tv show this is from but yeah. i aspire to be that meme of the, the the dad said hey what's going on and the son says sticking it to the man and uh... the, he says oh god it's not sticking to the man it doesn't matter and the dad says hell yeah stick it to the old people yeah like, you know that's that's what I aspire to be. <laughs> like, even if you can't have the 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 righteous anger of a young person angry at an injustice, at least be empathetic towards it.
1: Right. At least just be like, I'm too tired to be doing this shit. But you know, you you kids give them hell or whatever. Like, <laughs> at least don't get in the way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good moral for our story tonight.
0: All right. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter at Actual underscore Caleb and uh, uh, on Letterboxd at the same place.
1: Mm, you can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name and on Letterboxd at raise Left Boob.
0: And you can find the show on Twitter at Sounds Phil Millier. We'll catch you guys next week.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at soundsfamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at chelseabhdesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.